My name is Brian. I think I've met most of you here. I don't think I, I think I've gotten a chance to at least shake your hands. You know, people ask, you know, well, tell us a little bit of something about yourself. I'm like, why? I'm really boring. There's really nothing exciting about me, really. I'd much rather just talk about Jesus. He's more exciting than I am. So uh, if you look in your bulletin there, it says that the passage is Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7 through 11. So if you want to open up your Bibles to there, we'll start with that. I guess we should pray first and ask God to bless the word that we're going to be looking at. Father, thank you that you are such a good father that you desire to give such good things to your children. And we, your children, Lord, we come and we stand in your presence, knocking on the throne room of heaven itself, asking you to hear our prayers and to bless us with your Holy Spirit. Bless us with hearing you. Bless us with knowing you. Bless us with walking with you. Bless us so that we would be filled with you and know you. I ask, Lord, that during this hour that we're here together and this time as we open up your word, that you would send your spirit and to be present in us and with us, opening our ears to hear the things that you would have us to hear. That as I speak, Lord, that I would speak the words that you would have me speak for the joy and the goodness of every person here in this room, including myself. I want to hear you and know you. And I ask that you do that, Lord, because you promised you'd give good things to your children if we ask. And we are asking. And we're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay. So let me get this straight, Jesus. You're saying that if we ask God for something, he's going to give it to us. Is that right? Really? It's that easy. Okay, what's the catch? I mean, nothing's ever that easy. What's the catch? There's got to be something. I mean, really? Just ask, just knock on the door. Yeah, it's really that easy. Okay. What am I supposed to ask for? Like, can I ask for anything? Like, can I have a, can I have a million dollars? You can ask. No, you're not getting a million dollars. 
Wait a minute, you just said if we ask, you give it. Well, there is a catch. All right. So what does he say is the catch? Well, the first thing we have to do to answer that part is go to John chapter 14. So flipping your Bibles over to John chapter 14. This is a replay for those who were in the uh, Sunday school lesson this morning. So, Matter of fact, I should just ask them to do this for this part. They don't even need to talk for this part. John chapter 14. Starting in verse 12, Jesus said to the disciples... Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so there is kind of a catch to it. Whatever we ask, it has to Glorify the Father in the Son. Okay, that's kind of awkward. What what does that mean? Okay, I understand the part about, okay, if I ask something, it's got to glorify God, but but glorify Him in the Son? I don't know. What? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, so I ask it, so in such a way, and it's something I'm asking for that it glorifies God. And because I'm asking it in your name, it brings glory to you too. Okay, that works. That makes sense. Right? If I ask it in Jesus' name and he's the one working. Okay. And, and okay, wait a minute. What about this thing in Hebrews? There's something in Hebrews that he is the mediator. And he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his people. So, okay, also I get it, I get it. I'm asking you, Jesus, and you're right there beside the Father at his right hand. And so you've got his ear and you can talk to him about this. Oh, that's how you're glorified, right? Because you're the heir apparent to the throne. You're going to be sitting on the throne one day. And as the son, the great son, the only great son who sits at the right hand, who will one day take over for the father on the throne of heaven, you get to talk to him and ask him about these things that your disciples are asking for. Because, you know, God's got a lot of people asking him for stuff. Right? I mean, he's got, I mean, even though they might not realize who they're talking to, the Hindus and the Muslims are asking him for stuff too. But they're not asking it in the name of Jesus. They don't have Jesus mediating and interceding for them like we do. But Jesus is there speaking and asking. And so, 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 so you do this. And then when we do this, see, I'm just trying to get this. I got to get this formula straight in my mind, right? Because if I get the right formula of how I do this, I'll get what I want. Right. I mean, it, it, isn't that what he says? No, that's not what he says. You know how we know that's not what he says is because just a few sections earlier there in Matthew chapter 16, he's talking about praying when the disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, right? Because they've heard all the Pharisees and Sadducees and the rabbis 
in the synagogues as they would teach and they would pray. And these guys, they really had this thing down on prayer. They really knew what they were doing. And other teachers teach their guys how to pray. And even John has taught his guys, John the Baptist, he's taught them how to pray. So, so what, what, how to teach us how to pray Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Goes back to chapter six in Matthew. Right? Oh, that's, I'm sorry. A couple of things you'll learn about me. One of them is I never stay in one place very long. So just be ready to flip. Yes. Be ready to flip. So, so Matthew chapter six, starting in verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our father who in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Okay, wait a minute. You keep changing the deal here, Jesus. You just, you said if we just ask it in your name, we get it. Now you're saying that we can't hold grudges with people when we're asking you for something. Why? Everybody else does. Why do I have to not go grudge? Why do I have to forgive? If I want you to answer my prayers. Why? Because how can our Father in heaven give us something good when we are still being unforgiving towards others? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty decent at holding a grudge. It comes very natural. I've actually had to work hard at not holding grudges. Holding the grudge is a lot easier than not holding it. Because they messed with me. They shouldn't have messed with me. I didn't do nothing to them. Why did they mess with me? They deserve what they're going to get. Why do I need to forgive them? Why do I need to let it go? What's the parable that Jesus tells us? The one servant goes to his master and he owes like three lifetimes worth of debt, right? I don't know. Everybody here has had debt, right? Nobody's ever lived debt-free their whole life, right? And, but I've never heard of anybody building like three lifetimes of debt. You couldn't pay it off if you worked for three lifetimes and earned enough money to pay it off. And yet, his master forgives him. And then what does he do? He goes out and he finds this guy that owes him three months worth of wages, right? The guy works for three months. He's paid the guy off. But he, and what does he do to this guy? He grabs him by the shoulders and shakes him and says, pay me now. And he says, I can't have mercy on me. That's funny that I just said that to the other master. Oh, never mind. No, you're going to pay me back right now. I can't. Well, I'm throwing you in debtor's prison. Dude. You just got forgiven three lifetimes and you won't even give this guy three months to pay you back? Are you serious? 
And then the master hears about it, calls the guy back in, and throws him in debtor's prison, where there's just no chance of him ever getting out. What, what, what's the purpose of that parable? What, why does Jesus tell that parable? Because it's easy to hold a grudge and not forgive somebody, even though we've been forgiven of so much more. I mean, I offended the holiest creature of all creatures and of all creation. I rebelled against God and he forgave me. An infinite sin against an infinite God that has infinite consequences. And he just said, you're forgiven. But some guy cuts me off on 86 and I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to forgive that guy. I'm not going to cut him some slack. That's why he says we have to be forgiven for him to answer our prayers and answer our request. Because the offense that someone has done to us pales in comparison to the offense we have done to God. And he has shown us so much mercy, so much grace through the blood of Jesus to be forgiven of our sins. Why can't we just show that same grace and mercy to another? I don't like it. I really don't. I really wish God's economy didn't work this way. But it does. It, it, God cannot bless us when we are in direct disobedience and rebellion against him. And if we want that obedience, I mean, if we want those blessings, we have to give up our disobedience. So the first thing we have to do is we have to have to be clean. We have to first seek the forgiveness of him for our own offenses that we've done to him. And then we have to let go of the offenses that people have done to us and we're holding on to. And then he can bless us. He can give us the things we're asking for. I mean, I'm better at this today than I used to be. But have you ever, you know, played the, played the Christian lingo game? Lord, bless that man with your revenge. Right? I mean, come on. I'm not really trying to bless the guy. I'm just trying to avoid sounding like everybody else. Yes. That, yeah, okay. I'm not going to go down that road. I just want what I want. Can't you just give me what I want? I mean, we all understand, all of us who've had children understand this. I just want what I want. Can't you just give me what I want? Mm, yeah, I could, but I'm not. You ain't asking with a good attitude. You, you're asking like you're entitled to this, and you've been acting like a bozo all week long. And you're acting like you're, you, you, I owe you this? I owe you a car. When did that happen? 
But then, then we turn around and do the same thing to God. Been acting like a bozo all week. Lord, bless me. Fill me up with you. Well, how about start emptying yourself first? That's you know, God speaking back to me. God, fill me up with you. Well, then if you'd empty yourself out so I could have some room in there, I'd be glad to fill you up with me. Fine. So what is it? I don't understand. Because we ask, why, what does James say? Why do you not receive what you want? Because you ask with wrong motives. See, John chapter 14, my motive has to be to glorify him. He desires to give me good things. The biggest problem I have is my definition of good things and his definition of good things aren't matching. What I think are really good things, he recognizes are really bad things for me. I mean, that million dollars, that ruined me. I would be a, if I'm a rebel now, imagine what I would do with a million bucks. He understands that I'm not ready for that. So think about this for a second. If I'm not ready for what I'm asking God to give me, what's the most loving thing he can do? Not give it exactly. But he's more loving than just not giving me something I'm not ready for. What does he then do? This is the glory and the joy and the beauty of our Savior and our God. I actually believe that a lot of the things we ask for are planted in our hearts and minds by him. He really intended for us to ask for something that we weren't ready to receive. Why would he do that? Well, why would God put the idea in my mind to ask him for a million bucks when I'm not ready to receive it? Because he desires to transform me, to change me. I ask him for something I'm not ready to receive. And then he goes, well, no, I can't give it to you because you're not ready to receive it. How about we work on these things in your heart, mind and soul so that you're ready to receive it? And then that begins this whole process of discipleship and discipline where he's working in me and he's changing me and transforming me by the power of the spirit and the people he puts in my life so that I'm then able to receive what I've been asking for. So when he doesn't want to give us a stone when we ask him for bread, He doesn't want to give us a serpent when we ask him for a fish. But what he wants to do is he wants to make us people who are ready to receive the fish and the bread. Now, sometimes we really need it desperately and he gives it to us even though we're not really ready to receive it. So he gives us just a little bit, just enough, right? I think that's that's one of the reasons he said, pray today for our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. You'll get enough for today while I'm growing you and changing you to be able to receive more in the future. And then he says this thing about praying in my name. 
right? One of the challenges we have is we don't understand some of the things Jesus was saying because we're 2,000 years separated from him and we live in a totally different culture than he does. In John chapter 14, when Jesus says, when you ask the Father anything in my name, you'll be given it. We fall into this trap of thinking that it's a magic phrase. Right? It's like we talked about this in the Sunday school lesson. It's like abracadabra. You might as well just, instead of just saying, Lord, I ask for this in Jesus' name, Lord, I ask for this abracadabra. Because it's about the same attitude. When we think of this as some magic word, some magic formula. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Think about it this way. If you've ever watched films or movies about the medieval period and knights and kings and stuff, you'll hear this phrase from one of the soldiers or some official as they're galloping across this nice green plain, which never happens in Colorado. You'll hear them say, stop in the name of the king. What does that mean? When, when they say that phrase, stop in the name of the king, why are you saying that? They're saying it because the king has given them authority to say those words. The king has granted them the ability to speak on behalf of the king. They say stop in the name of the king is the same thing as the king himself standing here saying stop. Well, wait a minute. Who are you that you get to say stop in the name of the king? I mean, who are you, who are you in connection to the king? Well, I'm the captain of the army of Sussex. Okay. You have, okay, fine. You have the authority to say those words. When Jesus says, ask these things in my name, he is saying that he's giving us the authority to ask for things based on our relationship and connection to him. So let's rework the formulas to grasp this, right? Because I'm, the problem is, is he's talking in first century Palestine and we're here in 2022 Castle Rock. So now let's rework this formula so it sounds more like what Jesus meant to us today. So when you ask for something, ask my father for what you want based on your relationship with me. Father, based on my relationship with Jesus, I ask you to... Wait a minute. That's a little different. Now things kind of feel weird asking for a million bucks. Right? Wait a minute. You mean my relationship with Jesus is the basis for being able to ask for these things? Yes, that's correct. So the problem, though, is, is, is that immediately creates this, this, this conflict. At least it does for me. How, do I, I really want to ask for the Rams to win today based on my relationship with Jesus. Based on my relationship with you, Jesus, I want the Rams. God, that sounds so stupid. But, but that's the point. We start to realize how we've fallen into this trap 
of using Jesus's name as a magic formula to get what we want. And when we rework it so that we're saying, Lord, I'm asking you, Father, I'm asking you for this based on my relationship with Jesus. We suddenly realize how silly some of the things we're asking for. And we would never, we would never go asking God to do things for us based on our relationship with Jesus for some of these things. And then it starts to make us think, but, but if there's a positive, there's the negative side, right? I'm so, so embarrassed. I was thinking about asking for the Rams to win and based on my relationship with Jesus, it's not like anybody else. It's not like any of the Rams fans have a relationship with Jesus either, right? They were probably, I mean, the other, no, wait a minute, the Rams and the Bengals. It's not like the Bengals fans have a relationship. There's no Bengals fans have a relationship with Jesus. They're probably asking for the Bengals to win. And, and it's just a football game. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of money and there's fame involved. There's some good things. But there's a positive side to this coin. It makes us start thinking about what would I ask of my father if I'm doing it based on my relationship with Jesus. Who? How about give me some more Jesus? Give me more of your spirit. Give me more of the things that makes me more like Jesus, right? What's the purpose of the difficult things we face in life? Look, I mean, I, I don't know many of you very much more than just some surface conversations. But I look around and I, you know, with the exception of Daniel and Reagan, my son and daughter-in-law sitting here, all the rest of us look like we're mature. And we've experienced stuff in this life. Plenty of it unpleasant. What is the purpose? No, I'm not talking about, you know, getting stuck in traffic unpleasant. I'm talking about deep, aching soul hurt unpleasant. Why does God let that happen? Why? The answer is Romans chapter 8, right? Let's turn there real fast. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 and 30. Everybody likes to quote Romans 28, 8, 28, but they never finish with verse 29 and 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he is also justified. And those whom he's justified, he is also glorified. What's the purpose of the soul aching bad stuff that happens to us? It's to conform us into the likeness and image of our Savior Jesus and to cause us to be glorified in him. <sighs> wow. Okay. So when, when these soul aching hard things happen to us, we can know that these are being done so that we are being conformed into his image and we're being more like him. 
That's answering my prayer to fill me up with more of you and to be more like Jesus. I've asked him for something I'm not really ready to receive, to be more like Jesus. And so he put that desire there so that I would ask for it. I would want it. Then that would make me ready to face these difficult circumstances, these difficult events in my life, so that I would become more like Jesus and then he can give me more like Jesus. That's really what it means to pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we have to go through hard things to get to the things we are asking him for. And it's not fun and I don't like it, but it is good even to go through the difficult things. And even in the difficult things he's carrying me along, I'm not really doing anything big. He's the one working in me to get me through this hard thing, even while I'm in the middle of it. I didn't ask for that, not at the beginning, but he gave it to me anyway. He's given me things I haven't even asked for because he knows that I need them. Right? Because he knows what we need before we even ask is what Jesus said before starting the Lord's Prayer. One of the most difficult things to accept, at least for me, the most difficult things to accept is when I ask God for something, I don't even realize what I'm asking him for. I'm asking him for something and I think it's just this. And he's going, no, my son, it's, it's not just this, it's this. To get this, you got to get this too. And to get this, I got to walk you through some rough stuff. You know that. You know that just from the past six months of being here in this church. So then that leaves the question is all of this, where's this really going? I don't know. God, for whatever reason, just hasn't bothered telling me why he's taking you guys through all this. I guess maybe he wants to tell you first before he tells me. Oh, but wait a minute. That means you've got to go to him and ask him why before he can tell you why. So we got to, oh, Lord, we got to have another conversation, don't we? Some conversations are fun with the Lord, but some are not. I like the fun ones. Not so much the not fun ones. But then if I liked them, they would be fun, wouldn't they? So when we come to him and we say, Father, based upon my relationship with Jesus, I am asking you to tell me why we as a church are going through this hard time. Why we're facing these kind of difficulties as a group and as individuals. I mean, it's not just the church body that's hurting. It's the individuals in the body that are hurting. Why is our church hurting this way? Why am I hurting this way? 
And that's usually when God goes, I'm so glad you finally asked. Because he's got a purpose. He's got a reason. And now we're ready to hear it. We're ready to receive what that is because we finally reached that point of walking and growing through the struggles to be ready to hear it. But this is one of my pet peeves with folks. Don't ask me a question you don't want to hear the answer to. Don't go asking God what you're doing unless you really want to hear the answer. When we ask him, what are you doing? We have to receive the answer. Now, you don't have to like it. I've not always liked the answers I got back from God about stuff I was asking him. And it took me a few, sometimes it took me a little while. I just kind of hit the, wait a minute, let's time out here. I hear what you're saying, but I ain't ready to hear that. And I need a few minutes to think about what's going on here. It's just time out. Stop right there. Wait a minute. And he does. He does. He, he graciously in his loving kindness stops right there and lets us start to absorb or process what we've just heard him say about the reason stuff is happening. Then we come back to him and go, okay, I'm still not thrilled about this, but I accept it. I, I re- I'm ready to receive the rest of what you want to tell me. And then he does. So when we ask We have to receive what he says and what he gives us. Sometimes we ask for things and he gives us part of what we want, but not everything. Are you going to receive the part he's willing to give you because he knows what's best? Are you going to fight against him for everything? What is it? What was Jesus's response to Paul on the road to Damascus? Why are you fighting against me? I don't. Based on what I've read, that was not a really pleasant experience for Paul, and a pleasant time to be fighting against God. I would really, I'd just rather avoid that. Can I just like bypass that? Right? I don't want to be the guy who has to learn everything the hard way on my own. I would much rather learn from other people's experiences and avoid the bad stuff myself. Okay, well then let's just not fight against God here. Right? And... So when, he, when we ask him for stuff, we've got to be ready to receive what he gives us and trust. See, the, the biggest problem we have is we don't trust him. If we trust our Father, we'll receive whatever he gives us knowing that he's doing what is best for us. He is doing, even in the difficult stuff, the most loving thing he can do. If we trust him, that's a big trust. Has he done anything in your life to deserve that kind of trust? Has he done anything to show he is that trustworthy? Yes, he has. It may take you a while to think about it and remember, but everyone in this room can recall a time when he proved himself trustworthy of the most difficult of things. 
in the most difficult times. That's our Father in heaven. And I know in today's culture, the father figure thing is really tough to deal with because so many people have had such a difficult experience with their earthly father in this world. And, it, and, and it's clouded and it's confused and in some cases it's even corrupted our understanding of God as father. But you, you, you got to remember God is not like our earthly fathers. He's not like that. Especially for those of you who had bad experiences with a father, earthly father. God's not like that. He's like this. He is this father, the one described in this book. These are his characteristics. This is who he is. And we have to get to the place where we can trust in this father, not the one we think exists. The biggest problem we have is we decide this is God is this. God is this. Well, he's half that, but this other half is a bunch of lies about who he is. He's not like that. Our problems come because we believe too many lies about ourselves or about who God is. And once we start believing those lies, we stop trusting him. And that's how we end up in rebellion, going our own way. Right? If I don't trust him, I'm not going to go his way. I'm going to decide for myself in my own wisdom how to go. He is a good father. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of asking him and trusting him for what we receive from him. And that is my plea to each of you this morning. Trust in the father who is, not the one that we think exists. And trust in his goodness to give us what we need. And then trust him Enough to receive it. Receive what he wants to give you. And find your greatest joys on the other side. It's easy to receive what he wants to give us when it's the good stuff we want. The harder part is to receive the things that are not so good that we don't want. But on the other side of those is the greatest of joys. There's plenty of joy when I enjoy the things he's giving me that I want. But my greatest joys come from the other side of the things I don't want. That, my brothers and sisters, is what I'm pleading with you to trust in and receive from him. He is a good father. Ask of him the desires of your heart, the deepest desires of your heart, and then joyfully receive what he will give you from asking it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for being such a good father. And Lord, we ask you to fill us up with you. We ask you to help us know you deeper and richer and fuller. 
And we ask this, Lord, believing that you will give us good things. And we willingly receive what you choose to give us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Based upon our relationship with Jesus, we ask this, Father. Amen.